What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Struggle to Strength podcast, your source for real-life application on how to turn your struggles into strengths in all things mind, muscle, and money. I am your host, Josh Levine, and I'm joined here by my longtime friend and my co-host, Travis Hatch. And today, we have Lily Walford from Love with Intelligence. She's an international dating coach, a behavioral profiler, a life coach, a master of NLP. She specializes in relationships and human behavior. This is a fascinating episode all about human behavior and psychology. Uh, we talk about the three most important things she's learned about people, how to identify you and your partner's love languages. We talk about the four C's of a healthy relationship, and we answer some listener questions. Y'all, this is broken down very, very simple and easy to understand, but even people like Travis, who are more well-educated in human behavior and psychology, can learn a lot from this episode. So I highly recommend y'all stay tuned. It is just fascinating to me. Like I love the human brain. Before we get into it, we ask that, of course, if you love this episode, please please give us five stars on Apple or a follow on Spotify. Share us on your socials. You can find me at Josh Levine Fitness, Travis at Travis Hawks Media. Links are in the show notes. And that's it. Just stay tuned for an absolutely fascinating episode on human behavior, psychology, and relationships as we bring you Lily Walton. A lot of the questions I'm going to ask today, are, uh, they're going to sound like dumb questions, and no. but they're questions that everybody has and nobody has the answers to. There's no well, dumb yeah, questions. So, that's the way I love all this stuff. Yeah, I hope you have the answers to the questions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the majority of my clients will actually meet the one within 12 weeks. Oh, no wow. way. So I've had people. Yeah, so Whoa. we do some really deep psychology and also... Things like, um, I don't know if you, sort of how much you've checked out of what we do, but we do things like profiling, so we can profile people within six minutes or less using um, a CIA level grade psychology and also read body language and all these different things as well. Whoa. Okay. This is, yeah. okay. This is going to be a fascinating <laughs> yeah. podcast. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's, cool. Let's get into so, it. So <laughs> let's, yeah, let's get into it. I like first let's lay out like who you are and what you do and why you do it so that the listeners have a good idea of like how we're going to get into what a little bit more in depth of what we just talked about. Yeah. Awesome. So my name's Lily Wolford. I am an international dating and relationship coach with a bit of a twist. I use behavioral profiling, behavioral psychology and body language to help people to meet the one. And the reason I got into this is because yeah, my love life previously was an absolute mess. Dating, um, a psychopathic narcissist, being stalked for five years, you name it, been through it. And uh, yeah, luckily now in a happy relationship. And also I help people to go on and meet the one too. So I've had lots of wedding invites and all these amazing things. So Oh, that's awesome. Wow, that's, that's yeah. really, re- I bet it's really rewarding work too. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So I think we've all dated a psychopath narcissist before. I, at, at least a lot of us have. Travis, have you? Or, or been one. Or been one. I. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a buzzword. Maybe we can go into a little bit of like what an actual narcissist or a psychopath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is. yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we don't. Let's we don't want to. We don't want to downplay like an, what it's like to be an actual to date an actual psychopathic narcissist. So we, we, should, get, yeah. we should. We should get into like terms because people do throw that around: narcissist, psychopath, oh, sociopath. Those are kind of like toxic, flippant terms right like now. That. Toxic, yeah. So like yeah. we should really get into like what all of that actually means. Yeah. What does each yeah. of these terms mean? Let's see that. Yeah, so what a narcissist is. So the the empathy part of a brain in a narcissist is actually underdeveloped. So the way they actually see people, and it's a, it's a disorder, so people, this is something that can't be fixed within this person. So the way they see people is like resources. They go, okay, how can I use you? A little bit like a pen. How can I use this pen? How can I use this person? So there tends to be a lot of manipulation. And these people tend to be, um, you know, like cult leaders. They tend to be either high up in management. They tend to love power. Um, And then you've got the extra layer, which is psychopaths. So you usually have a psychopathic narcissist. Um, Basically, same thing where the empathy isn't there and it's underdeveloped. But they tend to 
they don't listen to rules. So anything to do with like the law or anything like that, they think they're beyond it. So you usually find lots of psychopaths tend to be in careers a little bit like surgeons or in the army and things like that because they can turn the empathy, you know, they've got no empathy there. So it's easier for them to carry out their work. So there are plus sides and negative sides <laughs> to these personalities. They're just not very good for people to be in a relationship with them. That makes a lot of sense. That, that makes a lot of sense. That does make a lot of sense. It's super interesting, though. And I don't know about you, Travis, or, or probably the listeners, too, but when you started talking about, uh, like, nar especially narcissists, I was like, oh, yeah, I know these people. <laughs> like, I'm, I, like I, I, I had, like, people popping into my head, and I'm like, yep, yeah, that, that, that checks out. But yeah, the is, loads of people have narcissistic traits. Mm -hmm. So we, we all can go into the thing where we do something that might be a little bit narcissistic, but it's the true thing, the true element of it is if the empathy is not there at all. So if you can't, mm -hmm. if they can't place themselves, you know, in someone else's shoes where they can feel those emotions, that's where the issue is because there's no consideration for people. Mm-hmm. And and this is something that I've I've uh, recently actually been talking about with some people. When placing your, themselves in other people's shoes, it's from the other person's perspective, as the other person like thinks and feels, not the way that they would think and feel if they were actually in that situation, because they don't have the same level of care, maybe. Yeah, it's, it's the, there's, there's several layers to it. So we, when we grow up, we basically have a few things that happen. So we form our identity, which tells us the role that we need to play. So for example, you're going to have some people who are more people pleasers. You're going to have people who are more independent. You're going to have people who play the victim role where, you know, when, every time you speak to them, there's something going wrong in their life. So each of those people are going to see things from a completely different perspective, completely different point of view, based on the way that they've grown up and developed their identity and the way that they interact with the world, whether that's relationships, business, friends, family, it doesn't matter. Hmm. That's interesting. So our narciss is narcissism a developed trait then in that case? So narcissism, it's, there's actually been no real research to say what actually causes it. But from the research that I've done, the way that we actually learn empathy is that we mimic our parents' facial expressions when we're a baby. Okay, so you see where babies interacting with their parents, they stick tongues out, they smile, they do all these crazy things. And that's the starting stage of when we learn that empathy. The problem is the neuroplasticity of the brain changes as you get older. So what that means is the learning capability suddenly shrinks. So we can't learn empathy after the ages of seven. So if we've missed out on that part, there's no changing the brain. It's almost a little bit like a, a form of autism. I mean, autism is very, very similar in terms of um, empathy because they feel empathy in a slightly different way. So would maybe some um, childhood trauma play into that? Like um, if they had yeah. trauma at an early age, that would kind of stunt some of their emotional growth, including empathy? Or is it more of, is it... You know, nature versus nurture, I guess, which I think is always a kind of a debate, but it's, it's both, both. So you can basically, so this is, this is my belief anyway. So my belief is there can be that, you know, like a birth defect where the empathy is part of the brain just can't develop. And you also have like the interaction with parents. If that interaction's not there to develop that empathy, you know, sticking tongues out and all the rest of it like babies do then that's going to stunt that growth in terms of that person's empathy. So you can have people who've gone through traumatic childhoods and they still have empathy. And that's usually because that foundation was there to begin with. Got it. How, that's yeah. how, <laughs> how common is this? Like <laughs> is because going, going back to how, you know, I've, these terms are kind of thrown around, you know, someone be like, Oh, that person's a narcissist. But like, how common is that really? Is it mm -hmm. one in four people? Is it one in a million people? Um, what do you What do you think? So, statistically, it's two percent. And to give you a little bit of an idea of what that is, it's like um, the same number of redheads in the world. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> so we all Whoa! Coincidence? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> wow. So that's a, that's a very small percentage. And obviously, like you said, everybody has narcissistic behaviors, but not everybody is a true narcissist. So yeah. I guess my question is like narcissists, like you said, they tend to be cult leaders. They tend to be very manipulative. They love power. And so they find themselves mm-hmm. in positions of power. So how can you quickly identify someone's narcissistic behavior as dangerous and GTFO. Love it. <laughs> yeah, because it's so important. You think. So one of the main things I get people to look at, because you can tell um, if someone's either narcissistic or they lack general empathy from a dating profile. So you can literally see it from photos. And what I'd be looking for is a selection of photos and you'd be looking at the emotional range of that person. So if you've got someone who can literally just has like a mugshot kind of photo, like a face throughout their dating profile, that will indicate that that person has a low level of empathy, which could hint to that person being a narcissist. The other thing that you can find as well is that they really struggle with the word no. So, for example, if you said, okay, I can't go out on on Friday night at six, they will still push for it. Or if you suggest something, they will have to push the um, uh, their power in some sort of way to change or modify what you've just said to suit them. So a little uh, a little tiny example here. Um, I had someone reach out to me saying they wanted to talk to me to book a call with me. I sent them a link for them to go ahead and book a call. They said, no, I want to speak now. Here's my number. Hmm. And it's basically them hint at pushing the, um, you know, pushing that power to see or pushing that back those boundaries to see what, how they can get that little bit of control um, over that person in the beginning stages. That makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Which is like, <laughs> I think... You know, those are those are probably things that maybe even more than two percent of the population do. You know what I mean? From time to time. So it's but it's but from from your perspective, like you're looking for how people can, you know, date more effectively and safely. So it's like these are kind of red flags that to to look out for, um, you know, they yeah. might not all be maybe someone's having a bad day. But if it's like what you're looking for is consistency. consistency, yeah. So yeah, so you're looking for that consistent behaviour because with narcissists, they don't turn up and go, "Oh, I'm going to switch it on and off again." Right. <laughs> this is literally consistent behaviour that you will carry on seeing. So the um, another one that's absolutely great that um, that not many people know about. You know how we sort of explained how people learn empathy is through those facial expressions. Well, if you're telling someone a really like sad story, one of the things that you'd be looking for, even at your happy story, you'd be looking for the empathy in that person within their face. So you think if someone goes, oh, I've just had a promotion. Great. Everyone's smiling. Everyone's happy. That's involved in that conversation. But there's a thing that we can look for as well, because narcissists can actually learn to... um, mimic certain behaviors but there's a way to find out if an emotion is authentic or not and it's really really simple so we've all been in those situations where we've had a friend you know who we don't really like who's part of our social circles they look over and they smile at you so you look back you smile basically turn the head and your face just drops (laughs) it's almost like right great they've stopped looking you don't you're not smiling at them anymore and that's a way if we can find if that if that emotion that they're sharing with you is genuine or not. It's whether it gradually fades off the face or whether it something changes and the conversation goes in a completely different angle. Right. So kind of keeping an eye on their body language after the initial response. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, uh, what are, are, are there Wait. other like common um, determining, you know, characteristics? Yeah, so it's, it's it's looking at things that it's just genuine. The best ways to sort of tell is if there's that genuine empathy there. Yeah. 
So genuine empathy, if we can see that there, the empathy will slowly, the, the emotion that is shown on their face will just gradually leave the face if it's genuine. If it's not, <laughs> it's a little bit like the friend situation. Let's say you have a friend suddenly looking over you. You don't really like, they smile at you, you smile back, they suddenly look away and you're like, thank God for that, it's gone. <laughs> you know, it's, it's when we suddenly drop that emotion straight off that we know that that's an inauthentic emotion. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to be paying attention to people a lot more. <laughs> so, <clears throat> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Have you always been very astute in like the observation of people's interactions and whatnot? Or is was this something that you, because of your dating history, wanted to learn more about? Well, the funny thing is, my background originally was in accounting. Really? So something completely different. Yeah, completely mm -hmm. different. And it wasn't until, so I went through also a highly narcissistic psychopathic relationship, stalked for five years, went into some pretty awful relationships after that. And it wasn't until a, a relationship broke down where I decided to have a look at things like NLP, hypnotherapy, um, coaching, all these different things to understand more about people and psychology and also how to build up self-confidence, self-worth, all these different things. But I kind of realized even from that place, it wasn't quite enough. So for example, you know, you can have a sheep with great self-confidence and great self-worth, but if you've got a wolf out there, it's suddenly not gonna look at the sheep and go, well, that one's got great self-confidence and that one's got great self-worth, I'm not gonna go and eat it. It's like, no, it's a freaking wolf, it's gonna do what it wants to do. So this is when I found someone called Chase Hughes and um, he has, was it 30 million dollars worth of government-backed research where he trained military operatives like two and a half thousand military operatives to stay alive in life or death situations how to read body language better than a polygraph machine how to profile people within six minutes or less and when i started learning this the biggest part for me was understanding that you can see the truth in people which is super, super important. And from that, I decided to partner up with him and use his work within relationships and dating because it helps people to make that informed decision on whether they're meeting the right one or not and developing the right kind of relationship too. Hmm. So you said, yeah, because this is the type of thing like people can listen to this podcast, but, you know, they, you, it's the type of thing you probably need to like, practice and research and find more information on and that sort of thing. What are some good resources? So you said Chase Hughes, that's how, like, that's someone I'll definitely look into. Um, what are like yeah. a few good resources or books or that sort of thing that you, that you would recommend? Yeah. So Chase is awesome. Um, uh, we've interviewed people like Scott Rouse, who's absolutely fantastic. Greg Hartley, there's um, uh, the behavior panel on YouTube that, which has just launched, was it last, last year? And it's been absolutely huge. They decode interviews and things like that. Um, I think they decoded, um, the tiger King when it first came out, they decoded, uh, Megan and, uh, Harry's interview, so many different things. So, um, definitely go and check them out. Yeah, I think the resources is a really good thing for, for a lot of people to start at because otherwise, I don't know, I think most people probably learn this stuff by trial and error because people like you aren't aren't very common, I feel. Like even you said, like you you are a dating coach with a twist and that twist is the uncommon part that most of us have to just kind of learn by trial and error and that sucks and it hurts and it can create a lot of trauma. So mm -hmm. do you find that most of the people who come to you have endured some sort of dating trauma or do you have people who come to you who are like young and just want to not fuck around and just get it over with <laughs> 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 for lack of better terms? <laughs> yes. To be honest, the majority of people who come to me are usually people who've been through narcissistic relationships. Mm -hmm. And it's, when you've gone through those kind of relationships, they're very, very similar to a cult. You know, we kind of refer to them as a two-person cult because the level of programming that happens in a narcissistic relationship is scary. You know, you have basically they chip away at your identity in very clever, underhanded ways. So it'd be things like, well, you can't think that. Well, people who think that are stupid. <laughs> so it's like all these different things that allow, um, allow someone to put someone down 
in order to gain control over that person. So you'll be removed away from friends, family, you know, psychologically. Um, often you can have things like financial abuse happen, loads of different things. So, um, yeah, usually I work with people who've had that kind of background to help them to learn how to trust the right ones again. So not put in those relationships and also to heal. I mean, I've had, um, uh, you know, people who have gone on to meet the right one within three weeks. I've had people who've worked with me have come off antidepressants um, for the first time in 20 years of being on them constantly. Um, I've had people who've released, it, released um, 20 years worth of trauma within 40 minutes. So with this kind of um, psychology, this cutting edge psychology, we really do support people with the healing journey, being able to meet the right one and also how to develop a healthy relationship too. Mm -hmm. And I think that healing portion is really important because a lot of the things, a lot of the trauma that we've endured in our past relationships are what keep us from engaging in meaningful and fulfilling relationships, right? So... Mm -hmm. How how hard is it for a lot of these people to to be able to trust someone again? And like three and three weeks and twelve weeks and some of the the time periods that you're you're throwing out that are how quickly people will find the one. Um, that's an extremely short amount of time. Like to to go from a toxic and you know emotionally abusive it sounds like relationship until and and then moving into being able to trust somebody fully with your complete yeah. self how does that happen so fast <laughs> that <laughs> yeah <laughs> A lot of research, a lot of, um, uh, yeah. So we've even launched a program as well where we actually guarantee that someone can meet someone within six months or less. So um, we are so freaking proud of what we've achieved so far. But oh, yeah. the most important part for people with their journey, because I know you talked a lot about relationship trauma. The funny thing mm -hmm. is it doesn't start there. It starts at childhood. And even if you've had mm -hmm. the best childhood in the world, the best parents, it doesn't matter. Because from that stage of your childhood, you have been taught how to give and receive love. And that's the thing that develops our patterns in, in every single context, whether it's work, whether it's um, relationships, whether it's family. So, for example, if you've got someone who's been always been taught to please people in order to get love, well, guess what? They're going to be the people who really struggle to say no to their friends. They're going to be the people that really struggle to leave work on time. They're going to be the people that constantly give in relationships and often feel resentful at the end of it because they've been taken for granted. Or you have people who are highly independent and they've been praised for being crazily independent as a child. So they tend to be um, less emotional. And tend to be very, very, you know, work alone within work, probably not many friends and going into relationships where they're not really connecting with their partner. So we get to taught these patterns from such an early age, which really, really influences every single part of our life, it even influences how successful we're going to be as adults as well. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and, and personally, even, you know, looking back on, on my childhood and the things that I've typically struggled with in my relationships, like that it, it does connect. And so being in these toxic or unfulfilling relationships or emotionally abusive relationships, am I right in thinking that those kind of just like bring those past traumas to the surface and, and highlight them where they become very apparent? And that's the struggle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So basically, you now, like I was saying about narcissists at the very beginning, that um, so with bad relationships, we often get taught, um, like, you know, narcissists, they tend to know how to use people like a resource. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, okay, you press this button, you get this result. It's very similar to people. You know, you say this thing, you get this result. <laughs> mm -hmm. So when you've got someone, for example, say you've got a, a people pleaser, if you've got someone who's constantly looking to please them, well, that's how that can be used by someone who's either manipulative or, you know, someone who's narcissistic. You know, if you loved me enough, you'd do this for me. You know, this kind of language would be enough for them to be able to, you know, get lost in that kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So in overcoming these traumas, do you do you incorporate a lot of your own therapy into your program? Yes, yes. So, you know, we were talking a little bit about like how we can profile people within six minutes or less. Mm -hmm. The biggest part of that is we can actually see people's needs and fears within those moments. And often our needs and fears are often the things that we actually need to heal. Mm -hmm. Because what I tend to find the most with, with people is that they're either doing so much to avoid what they're afraid of or they're looking for that external and validation from people in order to feel good because we have this massive concept about feeling worthy of love and people often feel the need to go and find love externally to them rather than being able to give it to themselves first and that often has a huge impact on the type of relationships that you go to as well so for example you have some people who love to be able to get approval you know, oh, great job, great work, or whatever it might be. And that would be the thing they'd be looking externally to fulfill their identity and feel, you know, to feel worthy of being loved or whatever that might be. You know, you might have someone who's um, terrified of being abandoned or being rejected. So they'll do everything to try and feel close to someone or they'll do the rejecting first. So they're, they're not the one that's being rejected. So it's finding out those needs and those fears um, uh, and because we can find them so quickly, I mean, for example, I was on a call with someone, um, literally, it was a business call, funnily enough, and literally within a few minutes, I said to them, okay, you suffer with this, and they're like, wow, I've been through three therapy sessions for someone to get to the root cause of what's going on with me. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> mm. That's amazing. So... Yeah. <laughs> so you're just constantly analyzing people. I can't wait for you to tell me about myself. This is exciting. <laughs> but, but, so my, my, like when you find out these traits about people, mm-hmm. do you then match them with someone who will fulfill those traits in combination with uh, working on the root cause of the trauma that they're suffering from those traits? No. So we would actually do the healing first, and okay. we actually don't match people. So what we do, uh-huh. um, uh, which makes our results even more, even freaking better of what we do, is we focus on compatibility. So when we actually have a look at someone and we have a look at when they're in this whole place where they're healed and they're able to really understand themselves, we say, right, okay, what's, you know, what's important to you in terms of relationship? And we take them through this compatibility matrix. We've got a version of it on our website, which people can go ahead and check out. But these are the most important elements to a relationship for it to be long lasting. Because often we find relationships don't last long if they're missing, you know, any of these elements. So the first one is kind of looking at goals. Like what are your goals as a person, as an individual, and also your relationship goals? Because if you've got someone who says, okay, I want to live in America, and the other one's going, I want to live in Australia, you know, suddenly you've got this horrible, um, uh, you know, compromising situation. I hate the freaking word compromise in relationships. (laughs) I don't believe it. Mm. I love that. That's a whole other story. But um, uh, so it's looking at those areas of how you can meet someone who's going in the same direction as you. You know, another one is looking at interests. You know, what are you both really interested in? You know, if I was going to say to you, right, you're going to go off and talk about something for about two and a half hours or three hours or whatever it might be. What could you happily talk about with absolute ease without getting bored of the subject? And it's things like these that can really help that relationship to blossom. Because, you know, we all, we all go through the infatuation phase and the honeymoon period. But once that's gone, what's left? So it's finding those little bits and pieces that allow that relationship to be strong. I mean, even down to things like what are your rules, unwritten rules when it comes to life? You know, what do you prioritize? Is it work? Is it family? Is it manners? You know, it's all these different things that are so important. So when we get a full understanding of those, when it comes from the compatibility matrix, we then start building a profile of someone. And that's when we turn around and say, right, where can you go? Where can you go and meet someone like that with ease? Is it online? Is it organically? I don't believe in the whole hanging out in bars either. I think that's another huge thing that people <laughs> do that's, that's wrong. 
but um, but from there you can find someone who's going to be more aligned with you and you're going to meet them sooner because you're putting yourself in the right places. I mean, for example, with um, online dating, what most people don't understand with online dating is 51% of people on there are already in relationships. Wow. So you're already in a place, yeah, where it's like, well, this isn't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> you got more filtering out to go ahead and do to meet the right person. Mm -hmm. So it's literally just taking out a lot of the guesswork when it comes to meeting the right one. So this is this is really interesting. So you don't actually match people. You just help them find themselves in situations no. where they might meet someone that they are a match with. Yeah, it's helping people to get to the right place where they, they can actually enjoy a relationship health, you mm -hmm. know, in a healthy way. Meet someone who's compatible and put them in the right places where they can go ahead and meet them. And that feels aligned to them as well, which is super, super important. And then the other thing is actually how do you build a healthy relationship? And that's something that we go into as well. And one of the most important concepts of building a healthy relationship is um, something that I created called the four C's. And that's literally compatibility, which we've kind of touched upon. We've got communication, which is obvious. If you don't communicate, you haven't got a relationship. Consideration. And the last one is collaboration. And this is why I hate compromise, because compromise, someone always loses out. I don't believe in that at all. If you've got that, you're going to resent your partner, you're going to hate them in the end, it's going to be rubbish. But with collaboration, you need two people who are accountable for their emotions, their happiness, their words, their actions, their life, all these different things. And it's so, so important, because if you haven't got that in a relationship, you almost end up with a parent-child relationship. You have someone who's like codependent and it, it can turn into this horrible dynamic and the chemistry goes. But when you've got two equals who are responsible for each other, you respect each other more, you're able to build a relationship and collaborate together in a way that works best for both of you and the relationship. To me, that sounds, I mean, that, that sounds like the definition of a team. Like it should be yeah. a team, right? And in a team... You do. You collaborate. You you very rarely ever compromise, but yeah, you collaborate in order to get to where you want to be. And in this case, your life. This is your life partner. Um, mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I like the I like how concise it is. Now, now, you currently are helping people who have been in toxic relationships or had traumatic relationship experiences. Do you ever have people who come to you who are in relationships that they're not sure they're happy with just to get some data and feedback to be like, yeah, no, you're not compatible? <laughs> I have had that before, yes, yes. <laughs> and there's a few things that are even really important with that. I've had, um, you know, a client recently who's, it looks like they're their partner might have undiagnosed Asperger's. And they're struggling in their relationship. So with Asperger's, for example, the empathy is very different. The emotional language is very different. And so it's then not saying that relationship's no good. It's understanding, okay, how can you get the best out of that relationship? And that's what people really struggle with as well. It's not about berating each other, criticizing each other or anything like that. It's finding out how to work together that works well for both of you in that relationship. So if it feels good, great. If it feels bad, something needs to change and something needs to happen in order for that relationship to feel good again. Mm -hmm. and, and people can kind of like self-assess using even just these four C's to identify whether or not they, they're like truly enjoying the relationship that, that they're in, you know, is, are we compatible? Is there mm -hmm. quality communication? Is it healthy communication? Um, you know, are we considerate of one another and do we collaborate? I think the communication piece, obviously the collaboration piece is, um, is something that I think probably lacks in a lot of relationships, like you mentioned, but the <laughs> communication piece is really hard as well. A lot of people don't know how to communicate yes. myself included. Like I'm still learning a lot about how to communicate. So how, how can people go about learning how to become better, more effective, more considerate, more empathetic communicators? Mm. 
Yeah, there's a few different things. So I've been very lucky and being mentored by, by one of my absolute body language and social engineering uh, heroes, um, a guy called Chris Hadnagy. And one of the things that he says that's been uh, really, really interesting is where we speak from, we speak to. So if we're speaking from an angry place or a happy place or anything like that, we feel that, you know, when we, when we receive that, you know, someone who's angry, something shouting at you, suddenly feel pissed off and angry. <laughs> you've got someone who's really happy, you know, and you've got someone, you know, sharing some happy news, you feel happy. So it's finding out where you're actually speaking from. You know, are you actually feeling the emotion that you want someone to share with you? Because, you know, emotions are, you know, basically contagious. The other thing as well, and this is where most people struggle is what's the outcome you are actually looking for from that interaction? Is it to feel closer? Is it to get your point across? Is it to fix something? Because often people tend to focus more on what they're feeling and they just allow whatever comes out their mouth to come out of their mouth. And often it doesn't get in the result that they're after. So when we can think about, let's say for example, there's been an argument Okay, there's, there's been, you know, heightened emotions, everyone's peed off, you know, whatever it might be. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, you, you're, you're in this place where, you know, there's this horrible, you know, argument going on. When you can start to say, okay, what's the solution that would feel good for you? What's the solution? And then finding out what's the solution that would feel good to your partner and exploring that. Because when you're starting to become more solution focused, you've got a place to actually start to move towards versus just telling your partner how angry you are with them, or how peed off you are with them. And it changes that dynamic. And the other thing is, and this is another one one of my mentors say, um, says to me, <laughs> you know, he says, um, uh, you know, in communication, it's not about you. It's about the other person. And often, if we find ourselves locking heads with people, it's because we don't understand, you know, enough about that other person, or they don't understand enough about you to be able to find that common ground that's actually going to help you get to that solution. Mm -hmm. So it's being open to explore that together. Mm -hmm. And and that last point, together, I think being the most important part is that it's not. Mm -hmm. it, there's not a winner of the conversation. There's not a winner of. of yes. The, of the argument there is a solution that works well for both of you because you are a team and i feel like yes. people get lost in that though totally it's really like, per, it's really easy to get lost in that i feel like especially for competitive people maybe yes and the funny thing is what we tend to do with that with um people who are competitive because i'm highly competitive you know it's like oh yeah i want to win um <laughs> uh, the best thing you can do in those situations is have a time out you know, it's okay to actually turn around and say, do you know what, um, I feel too angry to have this conversation right now. Um, uh, you know, can we park this for 30 minutes, go and cool down, and we'll carry on and we'll finish this conversation. It's okay to do that because it's in the best interest of you, your partner, and the relationship. So it's understanding your own limitations and your own, you know, your own weaknesses sometimes and how you can turn that into a strength to benefit the pair of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being able to walk away uh, is is for sure a skill, especially yeah. in the heat of the moment. Um, but but yeah, coming back to the the point that you've made about collaboration, uh, this is kind of an example of that. Is if you can think of yourselves yeah. as a team, like the team is supposed to win. The players don't fight yes. themselves. Yes, exactly, exactly. And mm -hmm. it's also you know the nice thing is with. You know, talking about when you can walk away, it's having the the rules where both of you can do that or both of you can call a timeout. It's not this, you know, one person decides and rules the whole relationship. Because if you're a team, if you're equals, you both have equal rights to go ahead and do that. Mm -hmm. And so while while we're while we're talking about all these things, it's like I think we're all, everyone who's listening is probably running through their head of like things that have happened in their relationships or things that, you know, they think that they can improve upon. Um, 
or like red flags in their past relationships. And so, you know, if we're thinking of these four C's, we're trying to, when we meet somebody, identify compatibility based on a number of different factors. And some of those include communication, consideration, and the ability to collaborate. Now, when you're looking for a compatible partner, obviously mm-hmm. you have a lot of experience in being able to pick up on these cues very quickly and identify characteristics and traits. Um, but not, but a lot of us aren't very, aren't very good at that. And it takes a very astute observer in order to be able to identify those things. So from your perspective, I'm curious, what are like the most important things that you've learned about people in general when it comes to relationships? Yeah. Okay. So there's a few things. So number one, does it feel good being around that person? Because we can overcomplicate it to the nth degree, but usually it's our internal barometers that we tend to ignore. We often know if someone feels good to talk to or if it feels a bit off or whatever it might be. So it's making sure that you listen to that part of you because often we ignore that and we get taught to ignore that as children. Um, so that's quite an interesting part. So... The the reason why we actually ignore that part as well is because we when we're kids and we say to our parents, oh, I don't like that person, or, you know, sometimes it gives me the creeps, often our parents would turn around to us at that age and go, oh, don't be silly, they're lovely. They go on, go off and play, or go on off and say hello. And that's when we actually get taught to ignore something feeling off, and we say, oh, do you know what? You know, maybe it was just a bad date. I'll go and see them again and see what happens. And we start to ignore what we're feeling, you know, emotionally inside, what's being triggered within us. So it's really important to be able to do that. The second one is understanding that person's level of emotional intelligence, because this will show you how this person can be considerate of you. Because if we don't have consideration, that's almost like trying to dance with a dance partner who's going to stamp all over your feet and not do anything about it. Because they don't have that spatial awareness to be able to say, okay, that person's foot's there, so I need to put my foot there instead. So it's really important to feel out whether that person has that emotional intelligence to really understand you at that level. And then the third one, there's a few different body language things that you can do to see if someone's genuinely really, really interested or not. And the first one is blink rate. Now, if someone's blink rate is really, really high, you'll actually show that that person's either stressed or not interested. If that person's blink rate is really low, that will show that that person's really interested in the conversation, really interested in what you've got to say. And uh, there's a good connection there. Another one is actually having a look at their hands as well. So if you're on a date and you're, um, you know, at a table with a partner or a potential date or whatever it might be, have a look if their fingers are extended or not. So if their fingers are extended, that will actually show that that person is actually open and feeling comfortable with you. The closer their fingertips are to their palm will actually show that their, their body language is closed off. They're not really that interested and they're not really into that conversation. Um, and another one, which is quite random, if you want to see if someone's attracted to you or not, you can, you can tell this by nostril flares. So basically our nostrils will actually flare to take in more um, oxygen when we're aroused or when we actually find someone attractive. So there's those little things that we can actually do to see if someone is number one into us and also emotionally open enough to be in a relationship with. That is fascinating. I just wrote all those down. <laughs> that is really that is really fascinating. I remember when I was in college, I used to look at people's feet to see if they were pointing, mm-hmm. like what direction they were pointing at. Is, is, is there truth to that? There's truth to that, yes, for sure. Okay. For sure. Yeah, that's a good one. Nostril, what, that, is, what is that? Could you explain that? Yeah, so if your feet are basically, if you want to find out what people are focusing on, look at the direction of where their feet are pointing. So if their feet are pointing towards a door, it means they want to get out. And often in groups of people... So if you find like a you know, group of men or group of women, if you want to find who actually leads that group, you'll actually see that everyone's foot will be pointing towards the person who leads the group. <laughs> interesting. Wow. So it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. 
So that's if you're in a negotiation business deal, you want to go ahead and talk to the person who's um, everyone's, you know, their feet are pointing to. Wow. <laughs> that's fascinating. Yeah, this could, this could definitely be helpful in business as well. Like, I feel like a lot of this psychology type and body language type stuff can be really helpful, not just for relationships, but well, not just for, you know, uh, romantic relationships, but relationships in general, when it comes to business life. Um, I, I know Travis was a psychology, a psychology major in college. And I always wish that I did like minor in it because I'm, I'm fascinated by it. But you can tell so much about a person without even talking to them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had um, someone on our team, and uh, before I actually hired them, <laughs> and gave them a little bit of a test to see how legit they were. So I sent over a dating profile to them, three pictures, a bio, and I think that was it. And literally within three minutes, he sent me a three-minute-long uh, voice message. And they could tell um, from just those three pictures in the bio that that person was a psychopath a murderer, paedophile, um, uh, all from different things. And the reason why we knew that this was true is because we also had the uh, the news article from where that information was from as well. So the person actually committed all those crimes, and before they did, they had a clean crim um, criminal record as well. So even if you'd um, gone ahead and did a background check on that person before that crime happened, it would have been absolutely clean. So we've actually got a recording of that as well on our YouTube channel for people who are interested to see what he saw Whoa. and how he picked that up. Mm. Wow. He's very good. He's actually helped uh, the police in the UK solve crimes from just his office. He's like the the uh, the modern Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, I feel like people like you guys should be utilized in cases like that. Yeah. That's fascinating. Travis, cool. <laughs> Travis, as the psychology uh, whiz of this <laughs> podcast, do you have any? Do you have any like insightful or things that you're curious to learn about? Because I feel like I'm very baseline, like baseline level. But well, for anybody who's like more in depth, I'm curious to hear what you got. Well, we are we're coming up on 50 minutes, and I actually got a few questions from listeners from like Instagram. Oh, sweet! Um, I posted this before. Uh, I realized I should have done it earlier because I'm like, people probably have so many questions for you. But I I, uh, I posted it and I, I got a couple questions. So I think now would be a good time to just um, ask you a few questions from, from our listeners, if that's all right. Oh, yeah. Um, so the first one was actually about communication advice. And I think we already mm -hmm. talked about that. Um, so let's uh, let's go to the next one, which is about different attachment styles. So... Um, this is something that I don't really know a ton about. So I don't like I it's hard for me to think of necessarily examples to continue with. But like what are what are you know, this is something we hear a lot about, like codependent, I feel like might be one. Um, what are different attachment styles that people have and why does that happen? So it's quite funny. So this all comes from this book called Attached. And we talk about avoidant and anxious attachment styles and. To be honest, I I disagree with them. Okay. And the reason why is because if you are in a healthy relationship that's compatible, you have all your needs met. And often we find that if you don't have your needs met, any person's going to feel anxious in that relationship. Any person who doesn't feel happy in that relationship is going to feel avoidant in that relationship. So what I tend to find is with attachment styles, it's not about the attachment styles at all. It's about are you getting your needs met? Are you able to communicate that to, um, to your partner? And is your partner um, considerate enough to help you get those met? Interesting. <laughs> that's, that's what I believe from that. So it's not to say that if you've got an anxious attachment style that you need to find a certain person or if you've got an avoidant attachment style, there's something wrong with you. It's more about communicate, get your needs met, and you will feel happy and at ease within your relationship. So this kind of reminds me of what Josh does because there's a lot of people like related to like the health and fitness industry. It's like, 
you know, a lot of people jump to restricting calories and they jump to um, maybe getting sick and getting medicine for it instead of like learning how the body works, learning how to take care of yourself actually for life, like every day consistently and, and working that into your lifestyle. And you're kind of like, that's something that you kind of do, which is like, instead of learning about attachment styles, like let's get you to understand people and understand how to find someone who fits well with you and build a healthy relationship with them using actual like tech trusted techniques and, and information. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Cause it's like, uh, they're like love languages. We all be, we all give and receive love so differently. Right. So if you've got a partner with a different, who loves people in a different way than you do, then there's going to be a mismatch and you're not going to feel completely happy. So it's finding out how do you like to be loved and what do you need to feel safe and secure in a relationship? Do you, um, are you a fan of like the love language type thing? Like, uh, do you, do you believe in that? Mm -hmm. I, I do. And, there, and, and I never thought I would really fully believe in that until um, the relationship that I am in now. So I love words of affirmation. I love physical touch. And my partner is acts of service. So I randomly get cups of tea and I just turn around to him and say, well, why, do you, why haven't you said you love me? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, you know, cups of tea is his love language and that's how he says he loves me. <laughs> so we have to actually work together with little things to do to, to make sure that we're fulfilling each other's love language. Yeah. yeah okay. This is something that I've, I've always been curious about is I... I think a lot of people do prescribe to the love language theory or subscribe, whatever the word is to subscribe to the love okay. language theory. Um, how some people, and I've had trouble with this. How can you determine how you enjoy to love and be loved? Uh, yes. Right. Cause sometimes, sometimes, I, you know, I don't, I wasn't always aware of how I love. Mm -hmm. or how I show love. Yeah. And sometimes I've had to have people be like, oh, no, you do this thing. And I'm like, oh, wow, apparently I do that thing. Yeah, I'm same. I'm similar. <laughs> yeah. There's an, um, a test that you can actually take online, which can tell you. But even think about, you know, when, you, when you've been in relationships in the past, what have you needed in order to feel, you know, loved and secure? When, when's, the, when's the moment that you felt most loved in those relationships? And that would often give you a little bit of an idea. So was it a really thoughtful present? Was it, um, you know, someone wrote something, a lovely text or said something so loving to you? Did someone hug you or <laughs> other things that are physical that felt really, really good? Huh. It's finding out what is it that allows you to feel really loved and special to your partner. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Like for, for mm. me, gift, gift giving is like at a hard zero. Like I don't, I don't feel anything about being given a gift or like, I appreciate it, <laughs> but I would uh, appreciate it more if you asked me what I needed before you gave me a gift. You know what I mean? Like if you check <laughs> something off my to-do list by buying me something that I needed to pay for myself, I would really appreciate yeah. that, but it doesn't have anything to do with the gift. It has to do with you understanding what I need and like taking a burden off of me. Like that's, that sounds that's like what, an act of service. Yeah. Act of service is probably yeah. like number one. And then like speaking, like saying, yeah. talk, I like to talk about things and like speak about like my feelings and emotions with, with some people, not with everybody, but uh, those are like the things I like, but like gift giving. I'm just like, I don't even, I, I, if I want something, I'll just go get it myself. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> all, the way that we love is the way that we want, you know, it's, sorry, the way that we want to be loved is often the way that we choose to love. Yeah. So if you were someone who would love to give gifts, you'd be like, great. Right. <laughs> and there would be flash. And they're looking for, <laughs> and they're, they're looking for gifts and then you're not giving that. Cause you're like, that doesn't, why would you yeah. do that? That doesn't, you're that's like, stupid. Yeah, stupid. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's good to understand that. Yeah, and then it's I, like finding a way of how to work it together in a way that feels good. Exactly. So for I, example, if loves gifts, it's like, okay, cool. Go and do the go and do the um, weekly grocery shop and go and put something nice in the trolley. <laughs> right. Week. It'd be yeah. silly things like that to be able to fulfill those needs. Yes. 
Yeah, that's that, like learning how to operate with different love languages in a relationship can be challenging because like Travis said, he's like, don't give me a gift. That's stupid. So if you're with someone who likes <laughs> gift giving, you're like, all right, I need to add this to like my my grocery list or something. And you're like, I think it's fucking stupid, but she likes it. So who cares? <laughs> yeah. Or like yeah. if they love, if they love gift giving and I love acts of service, like why don't you do the groceries and you can like buy something, something like special every time or whatever and give it to me fine. But then you're also taking the grocery shopping off my list. And now we're both very happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause at the same time, they would enjoy giving gifts to you, even though you don't like it. Right. And you and would yeah, be able to be versa. like, okay, but this is like, this is how she expresses her love. So like, this is very nice. Like, I understand that. That doesn't really work for me, but I get the sentiment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thing is, most people don't know what their partner's love language is. Yeah. They wonder why the relationship goes south. I mean, if I said to you, okay, how many of your ex-partners do you know what their, you know, their, their love language was in those previous relationships? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that awareness. <laughs> is there Sorry. like, you, I mean, paying attention to how they act and the things that they do will give you feedback on that. I mean, I was told a few weeks ago <laughs> that my love language was acts of service and it didn't I, like, mm-hmm. I never would have thought of that. Um, but in this, in this relationship, I suppose it is. Cause like, I don't know. I like doing things for people, I guess. Um, but yeah, be, being able to pay attention and like, if your partner doesn't know their love language, can you tell them what it is? <laughs> if you literally just sit back and watch and look at the way that they choose to love you. So whether it's like I've said, random cups of tea, whether it's words of affirmation, whether it's, um, you know, wanting to be close to you a lot of the time, you know, you know, finding out how they love will give you so much insight of how they love to be loved. Mm-hmm. That's and also, ask yeah, and, and asking, I, I was going to say that and like asking, and there's also like the online test is like also, you know, not necessarily going to be a hundred percent accurate all the time, but it's like a good place to start as well. And I think what it, is that it, test? It's, it's basically, if you go online, it's like the five love languages quiz or something like that. There'd be a few out there. Okay. I, we did. I did that. Um, this past summer, I, I found out about it. Um, but yeah, it goes, it goes back to like my point about the similarities almost between like what you do and what Josh does is it's like, you know, a lot of people, I feel like continuously end up in these loops of bad relationships, but they're not really like trying hard. They're just doing the exact same thing. They're not trying to figure out, they're not like putting the effort in. It's, it's the same thing. It's like, if you're not happy with the, the, you know, your, your body or, or your health, something about your health, but you haven't been trying to fix it. Like, what do you think? How's that, how's that going to happen? <laughs> like, yeah, you, yeah. you do have to yeah. put the, put the work in, which is. And that's, and that's another thing why the identity piece is so important because often we find that people, there's a few different reasons why people don't put the effort in. And it's either that they don't see themselves as someone who's worthy. They don't see them that themselves as that person who can have, you know, the great body or the great relationship or whatever it might be. And often it's usually because there's an element of childhood where they've been ridiculed or told off or anything like that when they've done something wrong. And that has a huge influence on the way that we problem solve because it, 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 um, triggers the uh, the nervous system in a, in a big way which stops us from seeing opp- opportunities and um yeah it just has loads of different um impacts you know impacts so many different levels and the other thing is is compatibility if something doesn't feel right to someone to go ahead and fix or to improve there's often something wrong with um with the relationship or the way that they're viewing that relationship because often, you know, we, we like to go towards things that feel good to us and feel, you know, it feels exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually and kind of moves into, I have one, one last question that um, is similar to that. And it actually kind of, I feel like it relates well to jo- Josh and I both. So uh, uh, it'll be, it'll be a good one to ask, but I'm nervous. Um, <laughs> it's so it's in relation to, um, to the aspect of like busy professionals. And, you know, mm-hmm. so like uh, entrepreneurs or, or, you know, employees that have a lot of responsibility and, and they're, they're very busy. 
Um, this it was kind of like a long question, but I think like the actual question of it is how do we balance our separate lives with our together lives? And to kind of um, yes. dive a little bit more into that, it's like how do you know, you know, as you're going into a relationship with someone, how do you know the difference between someone just being busy and not prioritizing you? Is that even a thing? Do they have to prioritize yeah. you or should, or, or do they, you know what I mean? Like if someone is like building mm -hmm. a business, are you supposed to be their number one priority or not? Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, how do you kind of prioritize your, yeah, your like shared, how do you develop and prioritize like your shared goals, your individual goals, your business goals? Cause we're all so freaking busy these days in general. Um, and anyone who's like an mm -hmm. entrepreneur, even more so it's so, like, how do you navigate that? Yeah, well, number one, and this is something that I tend to ask people, is do you have space in your life to be able to enjoy a relationship? Some people don't, and that's okay. You know, it's because at the end of the day, it's, it's making sure that you're not overstretched. You know, if people are starting off businesses, I've been there, you know, starting off a business, it takes a crazy amount of your time. And, you know, at the end of the day, you need, as a person, you need your quality time to yourself as well. Because what people tend to believe and they end up in these codependent relationships is they jump in and suddenly they're um, they're completely attached to this person all the time, every you know, every day from the morning to the you know, to the time they go to sleep. And there's no space for individuality, which is super, super important. But it's finding out, again, it's no one size fits all solution. It's finding out what works well for you. And if it feels good, great. If it doesn't change it so if you feel like you you know you've got a partner who's setting up a business you know it's okay to turn around to them and say okay look i know you're really busy when can we plan in some quality time together even if it's an hour of watching something or even if it's a couple of hours or whatever it might be so it's collaborating together still to be able to find what's going to work well in that relationship and the other thing is if you're finding yourself um, completely focusing on your partner without focusing on yourself and building yourself up, you know, and, look, and giving yourself the things that you need to be the best person you can be, then that's going to show an issue within your relationship as it grows and develops. So it's always making sure that you're still putting yourself first so you're able to be in the best place possible to enjoy a healthy relationship. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And that's something that I've, I've felt I've been working on both in, in, in all of my relationships is like making time for them. And, you know, Travis, Travis knows I've recently like blocked out my schedule for the things that I need to do for my, my business, the things I need to do for myself. And then I have a cutoff now of like, okay, this is when I stop working, phone and computer are down. And this is when I can actually be with my people and that has made a huge difference. But I think with every business, when people are starting it, there's a time where you, you kind of are just grinding like a lot and you're excited about it. And there seems like there's a lot to do and yeah, it can be hard to make time for your family, your friends, your, your relationships, your loved ones, no matter who they may be. Um, but, but you're right. It's, it's coordinating and collaborating to make time. And I, you know, that could be like for me, I stop working at 8 p.m. every night. It could be, you know, making a, a, a note in your calendar to call your grandmother on Sundays. I'll call you soon, Grandma. I got to talk to you. Uh, <laughs> but like making time to do it, I think, is the hardest part. Um, but once you schedule it out, at least I found that it does become a lot easier. Yes, it's all, it's all about boundaries and boundaries all relate down, you know, back to self-discipline, which is self-love and the way that we see ourselves. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, all interconnected so beautifully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, boundaries can be challenging, especially when you're like, you know, you're starting your business. You're like, I want to do all the things. And then it's like they're constantly evolving almost. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's quite way. funny. When I... When I got with my partner, um, basically within the first year of when I started my business. So a lot of my time with him was actually, you know, building the business and then making sure that we actually then had, you know, separate time where we actually put a rule in place where we couldn't even talk about the business. <laughs> 
So it's like, okay, cool. So now quality time, the person who mentions business or work or anything like that, whilst we're having quality time, has to do the dishes or has to cook tea tomorrow <laughs> or whatever it might be. And it's, make it, it's bringing the fun back into it because things can be so freaking serious where you, people focus on what's going wrong rather than what's actually going right. Mm-hmm. So it's important to have that fun and positivity in there. I, I like that rule. That's a fun rule. Yeah. And I could see myself being like, look, I'll do the dishes. I just have to talk about this. (laughs) Be like, I don't care. I'll do all the dishes. I just need to get this off my chest. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, this has been fascinating. I mean, the, the, the study of people and how we react, respond, connect is is really interesting to me. And, uh, you know, as a, a massive proponent of mental health and self-work and, and self-development, uh, I'm learning a lot more about this. And so it was really great to be able to learn from you. I really appreciate you taking the time to to chat with us and, and connect with us and, and explain some of how you go about assessing people and assessing compatibility and creating connection. Um, I know that a lot of our listeners are going to want to learn more about you and reach out to you. Um, in fact, I have a few people that I'm like, Hey, you should, I'm going to be like, you should listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, but for those listeners, I'd love to give them, uh, just resources for you from you. So give, give yourself the plug. Let us know like where we can find you, what you've got going on, where we can learn more and how we can continue to connect. Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, if you want to find out more, you can check out our website. That's lovewithintelligence.com. We have got a ton of resources. So we've got resources where you can heal from narcissists. You can go ahead and find out our Meet the One training. We've got the compatibility guide on there. We've got, um, uh, yeah, a whole host of training, even interviews from people who are very high up within the body language and profiling industries too. That's awesome. I'm definitely going to check it out because, like I said, this is really, really interesting. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that it's valuable for a lot of people to learn. So, again, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Um, we're we're going to continue to stay connected, I know, because I'm probably going to want to pick your brain on some things and I'm going to check out your website. <laughs> um, but to everybody who's stuck around and, and stayed for uh, the end of this podcast, you now have a lot of great resources. And I thank you all for tuning in to another episode. We will see you all next week. Yeah.